All right, welcome back to another episode of the Cody Tucker Show, aka my 600 pound life. Um, I'm here, I'm alive, you know, things could be better, things could be worse. <clears throat> I have a lot to go into today, so, um, you know, let's not stand on ceremonies. Um, all right, so first things first, um, NFL season kicking off. Uh, little tradition I have for myself that I don't think I've done on the show so far um, is before the NFL season kicks off, beginning of every season, I like to, for fun, try to predict who I think is going to be in the AFC Championship and which two teams I think are going to be in the NFC Championship, predict the winners of those two games, they're going to be in the Super Bowl, predict who wins the Super Bowl. Just to see if by the end of the season, how close am I? In all the years that I've done this, pretty good amount of time, I've only done it once. <laughs> and no one believes me. No one fucking trusts that I think, oh goodness, I'd have to look it up because I don't really have the, I don't remember the year for sure. But there was a year or I think it was like the Buccaneers and somebody was in the NFC and then like the Chiefs and Bills are in the AFC. Bill uh, Buccaneers and Chiefs are in the Super Bowl and Buccaneers win Super Bowl. I that Whatever Super Bowl that was, I predicted that one. So it happened. Scouts honor. <laughs> I did it. Now, granted, I have never done it before then and I've never done it since. But... For, you know, shits and gigs, I'm just going to go ahead and do it now. And we'll see how much of a complete jackass I am. Or if I am a future-predicting goddamn wizard. So, um, my picks for the AFC. So, AFC Championship. Actually, NFC. I'll start with the NFC. Because the NFC, I think, is the easiest one. There's nobody. And granted, I know that this isn't necessarily like a sports podcast. Um, and there are a fucking billion sports podcasts that are much better than I would be at talking about sports, but I do like, I fucking love football and sports in general, but specifically the NFL. And so, yeah, during NFL season, I'm going to talk about the NFL a little bit, mostly about my goddamn Raiders and well, that'll be what I'm going into next, but to kick things off, starting off with the old uh, season, preseason prediction, which granted, the season, by the time this comes out, the season will have started, but, you know, whatever. Um, so, first, so for NFC, easy. Philadelphia Eagles, San Francisco 49ers. There ain't a, <laughs> I mean, every other team in the NFC might as well just not even fucking play. And I know... Everybody around me um, in my little area is, oh, what about the Dallas Cowboys? The Dallas Cowboys aren't going to the NFC. They aren't going to the Super Bowl every year. Man, this is our year, man. We have so much fucking talent. You have the same talent you had last year. Actually, you have a little bit less talent now. So Dallas Cowboys don't have a goddamn chance of going to the Super Bowl. Will they have a pretty good season, like good record? Yeah. Will they make it to the playoffs? Most likely. They're getting knocked out first round. Um, I would be surprised, honestly, if they finish better than third in their division. 
Eagles and Giants, I think, could easily be have a better record than the Cowboys. Regardless, um, Philadelphia Eagles, San Francisco 49ers, that's, that's the NFC Championship. AFC Championship, that's tougher. <laughs> I, as much as I fucking hate the Kansas City Chiefs with all of my heart, and I know you shouldn't have hate in your heart, I don't care. I got a little bit of it in there. <laughs> I mean, I try to put in a little love every once in a while, but there's a little spot in my heart filled with a burning hatred. And that hatred aims directly at a shithole city in the middle of nowhere called Kansas City and the fucking Kansas City Chiefs. Um, so, with all that being said, with my hatred being very publicized in this episode <laughs> they're going they're going to go to the AFC championship without a doubt i they're a fucking shoe in just like they have been for the past what 7 6 7 years what nah, ain't that been that long 5 6 years whatever Kansas City Chiefs are a shoe in for the AFC championship now the other team that could go a million other ways bills fucking ravens could have a shot um uh, I mean, fucking Steelers, maybe. Steelers, maybe, could have a shot. Uh, there's there's a few in there that, like, could sneak in. It's going to be, to me, uh, it's going to be the New York Jets. Though the Bills actually could have a shot, too. Did I forgot about the, god damn, I did forget about the Bills. Ooh. And Bengals. Holy shit. There's, like, ten teams that could be, <laughs> be in the AFC Championship. Now, going with my gut, my gut says the NFC Championship will be San Francisco 49ers, Philadelphia Eagles. The AFC Championship will be the Kansas City Chiefs versus the New York Jets. The winners of those two games will be, for the NFC, the Philadelphia Eagles. For the AFC, oh shit. (laughs) Oh. God, I don't want to say the Chiefs because I fucking hate them so much. Jets, New York Jets. It's going to be the Jets and Eagles in the Super Bowl. Oh, God, that just seems too fucking perfect. I mean, there's no way. God damn it. I shouldn't have even done any of this bullshit. (laughs) I'm acting like I have any kind of fucking... There's no risk in me doing this. So who gives a shit? Okay. Philadelphia Eagles 49ers Eagles are going to the Super Bowl they will be playing the New York Jets and uh, the Philadelphia Eagles will win the Super Bowl god damn that does not feel good in my heart at all (laughs) that feels boy it's like I feel like what you would feel like if you you know if you like had sex with a hooker with without a condom, no protection, at two in the morning, you don't even know what this person really even looks like. That's kind of how I feel right now. Like the next day version of that feeling of like, oh fuck, I am regretting everything that I just did. That's how I feel. Actually, pretty much every night that I drink like two bottles of Jack Daniels and went and got Taco Bell, um, that next day, that's basically the regret I'm feeling about picking the fucking Eagles versus the Jets and the goddamn Eagles winning. Now, 
That's what I'm thinking. They were just too fucking good. Eagles are Eagles are winning the Super Bowl this year. I mean, the Jets are going to give it to them. Should I predict the score? Ooh. Hmm. That'd be interesting. Man, if I predicted all this and predicted the score, holy shit. Little Coach Stradamus. Um, all right, all right. So, I don't know why this is hitting me 35 to 10. 35 to 10. Um, Eagles versus Jets. That number just, yeah. Uh, maybe it's divine intervention. <laughs> or, you know, satanic <laughs> intervention. I don't know what it is. But, yeah, 35 to 10. Eagles versus Jets. Super Bowl. Was it going to be 58 or some shit like that? Maybe. I think for 50. No, not 58. Maybe 54? Whatever it is. Who gives a shit? All right. So there's the prediction for this year's Super Bowl. We'll see how that goes. Now, time to take a look at. And granted, if you are not a Raiders fan, the next, I don't know, six to seven minutes just fucking skip it <laughs> i mean you can you can watch if you'd like but this is for me and my fellow raider nation which is probably only about five or six of you actually watching this bullshit so well we'll enjoy this so i'm gonna take a look at the season try to predict the raiders um damn I should, all right, let me mark try to predict the raiders uh season Win loss. See see how I think the Raiders do. Notice I didn't include the Raiders in my uh uh anywhere in that AFC championship uh <laughs> breakdown. And this is gonna prove why. So uh, week one, Raiders play the Denver Broncos. That's this coming well, from when I'm recording this, that's this Sunday, which by the time this comes out, this game will have already happened. Um I think Raiders win this one. Um. Uh. Oh God. Week two, Buffalo Bills. We are getting the shit beat out of us on that one. Um. Week three, Pittsburgh Steelers. We will also be losing that game. <laughs> uh. One, two, three. Week four. Uh. L. A. Chargers. We will be losing that one as well. Well, this is <laughs> this isn't starting off good. Um. Week five, Green Bay Packers. Um, damn. We will. Oh, shit. Green Bay Packers. God damn. We will win that game. Uh, week six, New England Patriots. We will win that game. So that puts us at three and three. At three, <laughs> three and three so far. It's not bad. Then week seven, Chicago Bears. We will lose that game. Um,. I know that that sounds absurd, but I think the Chicago Bears are going to be very good this year. And then week eight, Detroit Lions, we will be losing that game. Not a chance in hell we are winning against a guy that, I mean, is taking so, I mean, there's yeah, there's just no way. <laughs> week nine, New York Giants, we will lose that game as well. All right, three and six so far. <laughs> Ah, shit, we play the Jets this year. God damn, week 10, New York Jets. We will be losing that game 100%. Week 11, Miami Dolphins. I'm going to say we win that game. The Dolphins actually are probably going to be pretty good. Week 12, Kansas City Chiefs. We will be... Actually, so obviously we play the Chiefs twice. We're going to beat the Chiefs once, I feel. I think it'll be the 
first time. So let's just say Raiders win this game. So now we're five and tw- five and seven. Then we have a bye. Thank God. And then week fourteen, Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings. We win that game. Chargers again. Gonna lose. <laughs> Uh, Chiefs again. We will also lose. There's weeks uh, 15 and 16. Then we got two more weeks. Week 17, finally. Indianapolis Colts. Fucking a win. Jesus Christ. And then uh, to end off the season, week 18. uh, End off the season. That doesn't sound right. Whatever. Uh, Denver Broncos. I'm thinking. uh, I'm thinking we win that game. So. That puts us at eight and ten. Now, that being said, um, if one were to look at any gambling site, uh, which even though I do not live in a state where sports gambling is legal, um, I do like to peruse the sites just to see, like, you know, what these people think is going to happen, and see. Now, the Raiders, I think, are expected to win about five games this year. <laughs> the last time I looked, I mean, that could be completely wrong by now, but I think the Raiders are expected to win either five or six games. I th- actually, I think it's six. So I'm giving them two extra games, which I think is pretty good for a Raiders fan. You know, I don't feel like I'm being too biased here. I know we're going to get the absolute shit beat out of us by, in most of these games. I think now as I'm looking, so I did pick eight games to win. As I'm looking at this picture of the schedule right now, um, I don't know how I came up with that number. Because I'm looking at it right now, and now I see, like, one game that we're going to win. So, already in the last five minutes, I've completely regretted <laughs> giving, the Aiders, or Aiders, giving the Raiders eight wins. But that's what I did, and that's what I did. So, my God, this is fucking terrible. But that's going to be it. That's going to be the season this year. So, you know, I'll I'll not talk about fucking football too much the rest of the um, episodes. I just wanted to get that one out of the way because if I am in right in these predictions, I mean, I will... I'm moving to Vegas. <laughs> and all I'm doing is gambling on sports. If I'm even remotely correct on any of this shit. But goddamn, I mean, now that it's settling in, like now that the meal has settled, I kind of feel good about it. I don't feel as bad about my Super Bowl predictions as I did, uh, you know, right then. Like, it's starting to sit better in my gut. So, maybe I'm on to something. I don't know. All right, let's just go ahead and kick into, uh, you know, talking about the news, everything that's going on in the world. There's one real big story (laughs) to talk about, and that is... The hold on one second. Yeah, that's this. <laughs> so, old Danny boy, oh Danny boy, oh where did you go wrong? So Danny Masterson, famous for playing, you know, Hyde on a uh, Stephen Hyde, right? Yes, yeah, Stephen Hyde on that '70s show. Arguably, I mean, I fucking hate sitcoms. This is the one of the only. This is one of the few sitcoms I ever enjoyed in life. Uh, Denny Masters is sentenced to 30 years in prison in, god damn, I know YouTube is, they don't like it if you say that, so, in the R-word trial. Um, 
Yeah, good. Finally. This this fucking prick, Danny Masterson. Now, I have not followed Danny Masterson's life much, except in the last couple of years. Whenever it started bubbling up that he turns out to be a bit of a shithead. <laughs> and the more I started reading about it, the more I'm like, oh, Danny Masterson is... He might act. He might have acted. He there was, you know, obviously like a second where I was like, I don't know, did he fucking do this? Because, I mean, people could say he did, but maybe he didn't. Eh, like who knows? And I, you know, and I, you know, I don't want to like just say like, oh, you should never believe it. You should a hundred percent. You should try to be fucking unbiased as possible, no matter what your like preconceptions are. And let, you know, the justice system work its way, um, you know, work the way it's always going to work. It works so well. <laughs> Nothing ever goes wrong in the uh, with the legal system. Um, <laughs> so trust that process. And, you know, um, the predators will be punished. The victims will be, you know, victified. Victified can be. No, victified means you're a victim. Uh-oh. I was thinking victorious. It is odd to me that victory, victory and victim come seem like they might come from the same word. Well, know what I'm Googling after I'm done with this bullshit. So, whatever. The victims get their, like, retribution. And the pieces of shit, Danny Masterson, go to prison. Now, if you don't know a whole lot about Danny Masterson, um, one of the biggest red flags to me about Danny Masterson before any of this really like, you know, before the, I think before like the trial started, whenever it was just like a thing was his affiliation with the church of Scientology. <laughs> now, <laughs> I mean, you know, thanks to the multiple rabbit holes I have gone down exploring the church of Scientology. I now do not trust any of those motherfuckers. So when I find out, oh, Danny Masterson has like been in the church ontology for a very long time. Hard not to say, yeah, he did it. <laughs> it's hard not to just think, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this is person's a fucking monster. He's a egomaniac, like most of the people in the church of Scientology, a religion that basically is saying, like, oh yeah, you're your own god. Um, we rub shoulders with the rich and famous, and John Travolta, and you know. Like, I mean, you look at the people who are in it, and you're like, God damn, like, these fuckers are in it? Beck, um, that chick from The Invisible Man, whatever her name is, and Handmaid's Tale, she's, in, the, I think, in it. I mean, obviously, Isaac Hayes was in it. Um, I mean, Leah Remini got her, you know, got her way out of there. But, like, there's a lot of celebrities that are in the Church of Scientology, and it, it is a cult. It's a weird science fiction cult, which, I myself, being a pretty big fan of both of those things, you would think combining them, and I would be all in. And you would kind of be right. <laughs> Trust me, I have considered dabbling in the Church of Scientology multiple times. Um, and even with all this shit going on, it hasn't completely gone, you know, out of question. <laughs> I mean, I might still, you know, pay a visit to a, uh, what do they call it, like a celebrity center? Yeah. I mean, if your religion has a celebrity center, it's a scam. If famous people go to a different 
service than the regulars, who, anyways, are also decently well off because you have to give the church so much fucking money. Um, but yeah, if your religion is a celebrity center, then um, yeah, it's a it is a scam. So, anyways, Danny Masterson a hundred percent did this. Uh, I mean, obviously he was found guilty, but, you know, that doesn't always mean a person is innocent or guilty. Yeah, he did this. Danny Masterson is such a smug piece of shit. Now, let me show this real quick, because this is fucking absurd to me. So, this is an Instagram post posted by Danny Masterson. Um, it says five days ago on this. This is from a little bit. This is from a while back. This is whenever he was going to court. I believe on the first day of the trial, if I'm not mistaken. In this post, you can already just see the smug fucking prick look on his face. But the com the caption had the most beautiful Uber driver drop me off at school today. <laughs> you fucking asshole. And he fucking he um you know, did whatever for the location. Courthouse. <laughs> Dude, this douchebag. Now, to add to this, um, Hold on a second. To add to Danny Masterson's bullshit here, um, this woman who he is sitting next to is his wife. If you don't know who this person is, her name is Bijou Phillips. And you can go down a real rabbit hole uh, on her ass. Bijou Phillips may be just as much of a scumbag as Danny Masterson. Uh, she was also she was for one harassing the women who were accusing him of raping him, which don't do that. I mean, <laughs> don't even if if the person is like don't harass them back. It, like don't harass them because you will not look good. No matter what the outcome, you will look like a piece of shit. Just stay cool. She also, if you just look at the history of Bijou Phillips, she's basically like. At a time in her life when she was younger, she was a kind of like a Paris Hilton type, like famous for being famous. I mean, she comes from, you know, famous stock. I mean, her, I can't remember if it's, I don't think it's her dad. Is it her dad? That's Papa John Phillips and Mackenzie Phillips, or um, Michelle Phillips, whatever. She comes from a family of lunatics. Um, also, big into, uh, you know, Scientology, obviously. Um, but yeah, she is notorious for just being a complete piece of shit. Like she's been in a few movies. Actually, I did like a thing about it. Um, Bully movie came out in, I believe 2001, uh, with Renfro. What's his No, Ren, Renfro, Renfro, just John, whatever. Fuck. I can't remember. Um, anyways, she was in a movie bully where she basically outed one of the castmates, the, um, bigger fella from mean girls before Mean Girls, who was in this movie, you know, kind of a, obviously, or maybe not obvious, but he is a homosexual man. But that was not a thing that he was public about when the movie Bully was coming out. Um, he was obviously, like, still in the closet, still having to, like, hide the fact that he's a homosexual. Um, she took it upon herself to just out him to everyone and make fun of him for being, one, for being overweight, two, for being gay. So... And it doesn't look like Bijou Phillips has uh, aged into uh, any kind of wisdom in her life. So, there's that. So, now, where this story gets more weird 
is how the cast members of that 70s show have handled this. So for one, people... So Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis, who in general people I think look at pretty favorably. Ashton Kutcher has a you know foundation that helps people, like helps um, women who have been trafficked or victims of like you know abuse. Done a lot of amazing things. That what I'm about to say <laughs> about Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis is completely independent to the good work that like that foundation has done to help like these young women who have been through absolute hell. Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis took it upon themselves to write up a letter to send to the judge of uh, old Danny Boy's trial, who are about to, you know, for the sentencing. Here it is. So I will go ahead and read this letter. This is a letter written, obviously, by Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis. We have spent hundreds of hours working together. Danny takes his job seriously. He is kind, courteous, and hardworking. He treated everyone from the grips to the teamsters to the actors to the caterers as equals. Aw. He showed up on time all the time and always pulled his weight. <laughs> we have also traveled around the world together promoting our work. I can honestly say that no matter where we were or who we were with, I never saw my friend be anything other than the guy I have described. While I'm aware that the judgment has been cast as guilty on two counts of rape by force and the victims have a great desire for justice, I hope that my testament to his character is taken into consideration in sentencing. I do not believe he is an ongoing harm to society and having his daughter raised without a present father would be a tertiary injustice in and of itself. Thank you for taking the time to read this best, um, I guess that says Ashton Kutcher. My God. Do you? Okay. The arrogance and just lack of self-awareness it takes to send a letter saying that the that <laughs> that your friend Danny Masterson should be getting a much lighter sentence is because he shows up to work on time. Wow. And he, he treats the uh, less important people just as important as the important people. Which, no way that's true. Because he, uh, well, there's a few women who could say, <laughs> say otherwise. Um, Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis are also the same people who said publicly that they do not bathe their children. Unless there are signs of like physical, like visible dirt. So basically, Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis' kids are running around like goddamn Oliver Twist, pickpocketing people with like smudges of oil and shit on their cheeks. These are the same people who <laughs> had the fucking balls to write a letter to this judge and try to get Danny Masterson a lighter sentence for R wording. A few, I mean, my God. Now, what's crazy also, I mean, the whole cast of that 70s show is fucking bananas. Um, Ash Kutcher, Mila Kunis, obviously out of their goddamn minds. Danny Masterson is an evil human being. Wilmer Valdolarama, I think that's how you say it, Wilmer Valdolarama Fez, um, bragged about banging a bunch of women, including, I think, Lindsay Lohan. So. Yeah, his dick probably looks like Freddy Krueger's neck right now. 
Um, the and the one, but they all got a pass. Nobody really ever shits on any of these people until recently. Um, the only one who ever got shit on was Topher Grace, Eric Foreman. It turns out he's the only one out of this entire cast who thinks that Danny Masterson's a piece of shit. I mean, he hasn't granted, hasn't like just publicly, I think, said that. But uh, he ain't writing any letters to the judge asking uh, for Hyde to get a um, lighter sentence. I actually, Topher Grace's wife put like a thing on it, condemning him, saying like they're supporting the victims, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Topher Grace, I remember when that 70s show was, you know, big, all you ever heard about Topher Grace was that he was like some asshole who wanted, who hate, you know, was difficult to work with, hated being on set, hated his castmates, blah, blah, blah. And so he left the show to go off and do bigger and better things, Spider-Man 3. And, uh, you know, that's that. Well, it turns out, Topher Grace might have been the only sane person in that whole damn show. And, I mean, besides him and fucking Bob, um, <laughs> like, turns out Topher Grace just didn't like going out and partying. I mean, granted, this this is the same show that had Ashton Kutcher fucking making out with a 14-year-old, who, granted, became his wife much later on, um, which has got to be like the longest lasting or the the most delayed Stockholm syndrome ever. Um, but yeah, he just didn't like doing shit like that, apparently. So he got labeled as being an asshole. Um, everyone owes Topher Grace an apology. Uh, he's the, I mean, he, he knew what was, he knew these were, these were bad, you know, these people were up to no good, uh, making trouble in the neighborhood. So I, you know, Stand with the victims. Stand with Topher Grace. Fuck Nandy Maston, Ashton Kutcher, Mila Kunis, and, you know, somewhat fuck Wilmer Vidalarama. I mean, I can't say much. If I had the chance to bang Lindsay Lohan, I probably would, too. Um, oh boy, I would have put about 15 layers of saran wrap on him, though. Jesus. Which I bet he didn't. <laughs> All right. So, anyways, let's move on. So, that's enough about the old Danny Masterson saga. It's a wild, uh, it's a wild thing that I don't know. I don't know what's all going. It's it's very interesting to say the least. So, actually, that'll that'll do it with this. I have some more shit. But I'll save it for next week. Um, my God, I need to take a break. Um, I feel like I'm sweating my ass off right now. I don't know if I can. If you can see visible sweat. Eh, there's some in there. So I'm gonna go. You know. I'm going to go wash down real quick <laughs> and come back and, you know, we'll do a little, uh, you know, where I talk the little thing where I talk about movies that people hate, but I like, you know, I should know the name of that segment by now because I goddamn invented it, but, um, I don't. So movies people hate that they shouldn't. <laughs> I'm, this isn't a bit. I really don't remember what I called <laughs> <laughs> this, this segment. Well, I will. I'll be back with uh, that thing. Uh, All right. So, back again with another segment of... Fuck, I forgot to look at what I had called it. <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever. The movie people... A movie people hate that I like. That thing. Um, so, this week, I'm going to go over a movie that I have seen... And this is no exaggeration, at least a hundred times, which 
again, I got to do that damn hundred time movie club thing because it's pretty. It's a pretty long list now that I think about it. But this is a movie that you wouldn't think a person would want to see a hundred times, um, and you would be wrong because at least at least one human being on this planet uh, loves this movie enough to see it a hundred times. It is the two thousand twelve? Uh oh. You know, I probably should have looked that up uh, beforehand. What the fuck? When did this movie come out? God damn it. Um, something like... I'm going to guess... Actually, before I look it up. 2012. That's what I'm going to guess. You know, it would be just so much... And I was right. 2012. is the 2012 sci-fi masterpiece directed by Ridley Scott, Prometheus. This movie... So, uh, with certain movies, I watch them and immediately think, oh, this is going to be one of the most praised movies of all time. When I went to see Prometheus, at the time I was actually, I was working in a movie theater, and we had like a 3D version, 2D version, I was like, fuck it, give me the 3D version, which I hate 3D movies. Anyone with glasses, I think, I think hates 3D movies just because it's really not that fun wearing a pair of glasses on your pair of glasses. Um, but, Still, I was like, ah, fuck it. I, I'll want to see this movie that bad. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'm going to watch it probably in both. So let's go and knock out the 3D. Ended up going to watch it. And about halfway through the movie, I'm like, utter, just so mind blown with how incredible this movie is. The, um, the effects, the acting, directing, which Ridley Scott gotta be on the Mount Rushmore of greatest directors of all time. I mean, Gladiator, uh, Blade Runner, Alien. He's got the new um, Napoleon coming out that looks fucking amazing. I think he also did like Hannibal, Body of Lies. Well, this guy's done a lot of movies. Delman Louise. Um, so, yeah. Prometheus is like, this is going to be a home run. And as soon as I'm halfway through, I'm like, this movie is absolutely amazing. And it just keeps getting better. I'm like, oh my God. So I see it next day after work, watch it again. And I did that about 12 times. <laughs> about it, within a two week span, watched it 12 times. And just every time I watched it was at the same time more confused and less confused than the time before. So I would watch the movie and say, wow, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Watch it again the next day and say, okay, now that makes sense. But what about that part? <laughs> now, suddenly, this part doesn't make sense. And I think that's what ruined this movie for a lot of people. Because when you read the reviews of this movie, they don't talk about this movie the way I'm talking about it. Most reviews, whether it's critics or audience, hate this movie. They think it's like this pretentious overly complex, you know, whatever. I don't understand the hate of this movie, which I know is a thing I've said about every movie I've done this segment with, but that's kind of the point of the fucking segment. Um, I don't understand why people... I mean, I, well, actually, I do understand it if you only watched it one time and did absolutely no thinking about the movie afterwards. This is not a movie that you just like, oh, well, I'm bored, let me just put something on. If you haven't seen it before. Now, if you've seen it a hundred times, Exhibit A, yeah, I just flip it on and I'm like, ooh, you know, I like gray metal shit. 
<laughs> so, needless to say, I'm going to like this movie. Um, but I can understand if... Like, I took my dad to watch this movie, and I mean, god damn. I look over and this fucker's like... You know, his teeth have changed shape and he's drooling everywhere. And I mean, he basically turned over and the fucker started looking like Gary Busey. Just... Um, so I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> this was a mistake. Um... But, I mean, fucking even he liked it. Granted, I think he was looking at it the same way I was looking at it. Like, ooh, look at the uh, neat uh, space shit. But, still, this, um, like, all these people, they just like, oh, it's too complex. There's all this bullshit. There's all these questions that aren't answered. I don't mind a movie having questions that are unanswered. But also, there aren't unanswered questions in this movie, to me. Like, every time I've watched this movie, yes, I have a new question about this movie. Like, every time I watch it and really pay attention to it, I'm like, oh, man, what about... The, well, that doesn't make any sense. So, like, I started questioning about it. But then, if I think about it long enough, it makes sense. Or, like, this is actually one of the only movies, one of the first and only movies, that I have spent more time reading theories about the movie than ever watching the movie. And granted, this is a movie I've seen over a hundred times. So, yeah, I've spent more time on, like, message boards, which, goddamn, this sounds so pathetic <laughs> as I'm saying it out loud. But I'm fascinated by this, like, world that Ridley Scott created. I'm, and, you know, and the whole, like, if, you know, I don't know where we come from. <laughs> I don't know how we got here. I don't know if there's a god, if there's, if it's just fucking chance. I mean... I don't know. I mean, did did was there just a big bang and the Earth just happened to come out of it? Um, but then again, who, what happened before the big bang? Whatever that story is, well, what happened before that? If God made it, okay, well, how did God get here? So, <laughs> I mean, I'll end up with a you know a fucking nosebleed if I keep going down that you know train of thought. But I do kind of like the idea of engineers. So the and because I am a very like religiously ambiguous person, and I'm big. I mean, I don't have one. <laughs> so actually, I think that's the opposite of ambiguous. Um, I just I just don't have one. I don't believe in any religion. Um, but I like taking things from religions and saying like, oh, I like that, or oh, I like like. You know, there's this Hindu belief. Well, that's interesting. I could probably use that in my life. There's this Christian belief. Oh, I could use that, you know. Or like this story, uh, you know, Solomon and the kid cutting him in half. That story is an interesting story to me, so I like it. Now, am I a Christian? No. But I will take from your religion <laughs> and use it to my advantage. Which is a harsh way of putting, you know, what I'm trying to say. But whatever. I like the idea that Ridley Scott makes up within the Prometheus universe and alien universe altogether too, of there being these engineers, these, you know, nine foot tall fucking mannequins that look like some shit out of a tool video who, you know, one of them comes and lands down, drinks some, you know, black shit. Um, and then just starts falling apart and then bada boom, bada bing. Here we are. We're alive and kicking. And they don't like us, so at one point they tried to fuck us up because we, like the story of Prometheus, basically they gave us fire, and we, instead of like, 
using it to, you know, create goodness, we just started burning shit down. And so like, uh oh, this is out of control. Time to send these terrifying alien <laughs> like alien worm things down to just kill all of them. I that story is interesting to me. And so their whole like and the different characters deal with it in different ways where like one is still pretty religious even though they met these engineers She's like well who made them my question exactly um and then uh, what i would say is one of so even if you don't care about any of that religious stuff which i mean even in the movie they talk about like how the engineers how like jesus was an engineer <laughs> which ridley scott i mean talk about having some goddamn cojones on you there fell <laughs> to be like <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to recreate the Bible <laughs> in a in like one sentence. Like in one sentence, I'm going to completely destroy Christianity uh, in my movie by saying, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and 2000 years ago, they came back one more time to send one more engineer to see if they could make people a little nicer. Uh, and they just fucking killed them. So they're like, final straw, time to send them uh, <laughs> time to, you know bring a rain hell upon the humans but even if you don't care about any of that which is fine i mean it's not really fine but it's fine how michael fassbender isn't more like praised for this movie is incredible to me no one gave a shit about him being in this movie really it seemed like like you know as far as awards go like he wouldn't get nominated for shit but he should have been because his role as um david and then I think later, is he Walter in the, yes, Walter in the uh, Alien Covenant. But his role as David in this movie, it's like this weird, I mean, obviously they allude to it quite a bit of like a Peter O'Toole, Lawrence of Arabia. It's like that with like Hannibal Lecter put together and a little bit of like HAL 9000. It is, it's like the amalgamation of every great movie villain and hero put together now he is not a hero but he is that kind of like he has like a lawrence of arabia vibe to him and that's why he like quotes like the trick is not minding that it hurts like doing all that bullshit he i mean he's so he seems like an actual goddamn android like, I don't know what, if Michael Fassbender may not be a real person. Now, if you ever watch Shame, uh, you would know that whoever made the robot Michael Fassbender put a massive hammer on him. <laughs> so, you know, congratulations. But, yeah, so, if you've seen Prometheus, which most people I feel like have seen Prometheus, and maybe 80% of them are like, fuck that movie. That movie was stupid, dumb, it didn't make sense. I implore you to go back and watch it and actually do a little like digging, like watch it and read. Like, I mean, there are people who've written like their thesis, like university, like district, like doctorate dissertations, thesis, like all that stuff. There are people who've written that about this movie and for different reasons, whether it be like religious, like, or mythi mythology and like mythologist connection to film, like in, um, like capitalism, like the, um, horrors of capitalism like i mean people have taken this movie and done like very interesting breakdowns of what exactly is going on because every frame of this movie has something in it that like explains the movie better but if you aren't getting it then this movie is just 
doesn't make sense. And so I get that. But just watch it again and watch it. Don't be ugh, one of these fucking assholes that's like on your phone most of the time and then look at him and going, what just happened? Fuck all of that. No. Put your fucking phone down. Lock your phone. Take your phone. Set it outside. Come back in and watch the movie. Hopefully your phone's there when you get back. But if it's not, well, it was worth it. Watch this movie. Fucking tunnel vision. And if you still feel like you don't get it, you need to watch it a second time. Like right after. Watch it again. If you still feel like you don't get after that, hit up the old internet and just start reading the internet. And you will, it like opens your brain to so much shit about how fascinating this Ridley Scottian world is. So, you know. Well, there's my little opinion on Prometheus, which is a movie, again, that I fucking love so much. And it really drives me nuts that people don't like it. So, that being said, time to move on to uh, where that come from. All right, here we go. So, a little uh, where that come from. This one, I think, hopefully a lot of people like. I feel like people will like this one. So, this is this is one that I, I, I've been meaning to do for a while. Just haven't done it. But it involves who I think is one of the greatest writers of all time. A fellow named John Milton. John Milton, way back, 1700s, 1700s, long, long, long time ago. Writer John Milton wrote... Paradise Lost. Paradise Lost is this fucking epic um, dealing with like hell, God, the fall of man, all this kind of stuff. Like it is basically mentioned in it's a serial killer's wet dream for whatever reason. For whatever reason, serial killers love Paradise Lost. Um, it, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I mean, mostly because a lot of serial killers are religiously, um, you know have like cruel religious overbearing parents and then that turns into all this shit but anyways doesn't matter john milton writes paradise lost and it is very popular from the time it comes out even to today paradise lost is usually required reading in most schools it's it's a i mean in today's world it's a, it's a tough read for sure i mean i've it took me about six or seven tries to be like all right fucking finally finished it and actually kind of have some idea of what's going on in this damn thing um in paradise so john milton in his own right is a fascinating fascinating person john milton um again just a fucking incredible writer he i mean you could do a whole damn series about john milton because of this because john milton coined a lot of words that we use today um, he invented the word fragrance, debauchery. Um, he's the first person to use the term outer space <laughs> when talking about, you know, outer space. I don't know what the hell they called it before it was called outer space, but he's the first one to call it outer space. Um, he also, like, was very influenced by Galileo, the Italian astronomer, and even went and visited Galileo at one point, and they kind of made somewhat of a like a friendship almost like a teacher student relationship regardless john milton is very fascinated by the idea of like heaven and hell good and evil and like censorship all these things that were very um hot topics during like the from the renaissance into the enlightenment periods um so he writes paradise lost Paradise Lost ends up making, like, 
ends up becoming paradise lost ends up becoming huge, but it also gives us like a completely new way of talking in the sense that like John Milton creating these words like fragrance and outer space. Well, he created other words in paradise lost. He's invented the word terrific. Now in paradise lost, terrific doesn't mean great. How we call it terrific meaning coming from like terrible, uh, and terror terrific in paradise lost means like scary and horrifying, but still the first time, People use the word terrific. He also, in the book Paradise, in Paradise Lost, John Milton talks about hell, gives like a huge, um, you know, his interpretation of hell that is that combined with like Dante um, have become basically like what we think of when we think of like hell, heaven, you know, demons, Satan, all this stuff. Um, in Paradise Lost, Hell has a capital. <laughs> and the capital of hell uh, in Paradise Lost is called Pandemonium. Pandemonium meaning like pan, all, and then demonium, like demons. So the place of all demons. So that's what Pandemonium means. It's like it's the capital city of hell. It's where all the demons are. Um, but yeah, obviously we still use it today. Anytime that there's like havoc being wreaked. Uh, we still call it pandemonium. Now, the to me, to me, the most interesting thing to come out of Paradise Lost, as far as like how it affected everything moving on from the time it was written to today. When you think of, so we'll just do a little experiment. When you think of the Garden of Eden, the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They, obviously, end up eating this fruit, forbidden fruit, shouldn't have eaten it, but they ate it. When you think of Eve holding a fruit, what is the fruit that comes to mind? Most likely, in your head, you thought apple. It does not say in the Bible that she eats an apple. But, every single person, for the most likely every single person who just did this, thought of an apple in her hand why do we think of an apple there are tons of fruits that grow on trees figs whatever <laughs> figs and whatever that's about it um there are tons of fruits that grow on trees why do we think of an apple the reason we think of an apple is because paradise lost is the story where that fruit becomes referred to as an apple the reason John Milton refers to the fruit as an apple and not all the other fruits is that the Latin word for apple is malus, M-A-L-U-S, malus. Malus is also the Latin for sin or evil. So the same Latin word has two completely different meanings. It's a pun. <laughs> it is an old, old, old Latin pun that apple and evil come from the exact same Latin word for, you know, whatever reason, I'm sure there's a reason, I, whatever, look it up. But for whatever, so John Milton knew that apple and evil come from the word malice. And obviously we think of like malevolent, um, malice, like the actual word malice, malcontent, like all these things that are, you know, we think of when we think of like evil, malice, um, 
But yeah, so that's why it's an apple. That's why we think of an apple. When you see paintings of the Garden of Eden, it's usually an apple tree they're standing under. And it's usually an apple that she's holding. It has nothing to do with the Bible. Nothing to do with it. Actually, most things that we think of when we think of like heaven, hell, and a lot of the imagery of the Bible ain't anywhere in the Bible. It was written fucking in the 15, 16, 1700s. That's where most of like our imagery of the Bible comes from. And John Milton played a massive part in that by writing the epic Paradise Lost and using a little Latin pun. So, hopefully you found that interesting. And with that being said, we will move on to, I guess everyone's favorite, the old half-ass history. Alright, time for a little bit of a half-ass history. So, got three, three vastly different stories, but should be very good ones nonetheless. Um, nonetheless, ugh. words are not my thing. So first story we're going to go into involves the Apache leader, Geronimo, which I'm sure most people know the name Geronimo, maybe just don't know much about him. Actually may not know that he was a real person <laughs> as crazy as that is a thing. But Geronimo was obviously Apache leader, an absolute badass. Geronimo is one of the coolest human beings ever. So Geronimo was was kind of like a shaman within the Apache uh, tribe. He was believed to have had supernatural powers. His, you know, his tribe, the Apa- the fellow Apaches believed that Geronimo could slow down time, heal the sick, uh, and then see into the future, but also see things that were happening in other places. Um, at one point, the Apaches were way off, uh, far from you know home base. They were on a raid. Geronimo just stopped what he was doing and said, "We're being attacked back home." He saw this vision that the U.S. Army was like basically destroying their, uh, you know, their home. Well, they end up coming back from the raid. Turns out he was right. (laughs) The U.S. Army had completely destroyed their entire uh, home base. He also was believed to have been immortal by the Apaches. The Apaches believed that he could not be killed. Um, Part of this legend comes from the fact that during a lot of the raids fighting with the U.S. military, whatever it may have been, um, or whatever happened, Geronimo would, instead of just doing a full steam charge, and again, you have to remember, this is a time where it wasn't like what we think of when we think of like Western films or ever, like guns versus bow and arrows. Most of the Apaches had guns as well. Or not most, but a lot of the Apaches had guns as well. So it was a lot of like, you know, gun-on-gun fighting. Geronimo did not like guns. Had a like very dif- difficult time trying to learn how to use one. So I said, "Fuck it, I'm sticking with, with my knife." Geronimo would charge in a zigzag pattern until he was close enough to the, the U.S. soldiers to where he could just stab them to death, and he never got shot. All this time, just charging like a fucking maniac, never got shot. So. The fellow Apaches were like, oh my god, Geronimo is immortal. 
<laughs> so they have this like weird, like not I mean not a worship of him, but they they just had this like they put him on this like pedestal of being a superhuman. Now, obviously, if you know even a little bit about history, the U.S. government and the Native Americans did not get along too well. <laughs> and the U.S. government, um, you know, saw, saw, uh, saw fit to basically just take them all out. Geronimo, at one point, was being hunted down by over 5,000 U.S. Army members, which at the time was about a quarter of the U.S. Army. So at one point, a quarter of the U.S. military was their job was to hunt down this one person, Geronimo. And as sad as it is, he finally was captured by the U.S. Army. When he was captured, he became a prisoner, like a prisoner of war. Um, as he was a prisoner, the U.S. Army did allow him to basically get shipped around the country as a basically a sideshow attraction for these Wild West shows um, with like Buffalo Bill or sorry with a like Wild Bill Hill uh, Wild Bill Hickok Annie Oakley you know these like very very popular like old old time versions of like rodeos and like carnival attractions but they were all Wild West themes he has already had this reputation within the country as, you know, being this like warrior. Um, and the reputation was that he was brutal and there is some truth to that. <laughs> I mean, Geronimo was not a, exactly a peaceful person. Now, granted, you know, you can make, you know, the argument that, well, fucking leave him alone he's doing his thing we need to mind our own fucking business you can obviously make that argument but there are definitely stories of geronimo um doing horrible stuff to people uh and a lot of innocent people so you know look at it in a little bit of a you know balanced way but geronimo is on these wild west shows and his name as his you know his the name of his attraction is the, the apache terror <laughs> which is, I mean, probably the greatest wrestling name of all time. Had wrestling existed back then, like professional wrestling, be the greatest greatest gimmick of all time. Um, and part of his thing, like you know, they would just basically show him off. It's actually pretty gross when you think about it. Um, but he would like make walking sticks and sell walking sticks, and that's how he'd have you know like a little bit of money. Um, a pretty shit life for Geronimo once he's captured. Now, granted, he's not in prison 24-7, but still, it's not, it is not great for Geronimo. But he becomes, like, he has, like, kind of an adverse effect than what the U.S. military has. So the U.S. military looked at Geronimo as being public enemy number one. Most of the people in the U.S. loved the dude. They were like, this guy is incredible. Like, he's got superpowers. <laughs> like, he's, he looks like, like, he became a living legend. Amongst people in the U.S. So much so that in uh, when Teddy Roosevelt was elected president, Geronimo was part of his inaugural parade. Like, Teddy Roosevelt was in love with this dude. was, like, fascinated by Geronimo. But it's also because Teddy Roosevelt, no matter what group you're in or whatever, had a real hard-on for people who were 
warriors. Like Teddy Roosevelt fancied himself a warrior. So naturally, Teddy Roosevelt's going to be drawn to a person like Geronimo. So all this happens in Geronimo's life. He ends up dying in 1909. Eight years after he dies, he's obviously he's buried. Eight years after he dies in 1917, members of Yale University's Skull and Crossbones Society, which, or sorry, members of Yale's Skull and Bones Society, do a little, um, decide to go on a little raid of their own. And the legend is that the members of Yale's Skull and Bone Society, this creepy cult, like basically, if you think that the Illuminati is real, <laughs> that's where you that's where you start at, is Skull and Bones. But regardless, the, the old Skull and Bones fellas decide to go on a raid of their own. Um, and the legend is that they raided the grave of Geronimo and st- stole some of his bones including his skull which they would bring back to their temple at Yale University and it became part of the rituals of the Skull and Bone Society to drink from Geronimo's skull that is the legend one of the people who was allegedly part of this raid in stealing Geronimo's skull was a fella named Prescott Bush grandfather of George W. Bush, father of George H. W. Bush. So, I that's there. There's a good one, old Geronimo. Um, all right. So next one. So, still staying in the U.S. Back in the 40s, there was a fella named George Stephen Morrison. George Stephen Morrison, a soldier, enlists into the Navy. Um, goes into the Naval Academy in 1941. He ends up getting sent to Hawaii. Now, if you're not a exactly a history buff, actually most people should know that in <laughs> at that time in Hawaii, an event happened that changed everything in the US. The event was Pearl Harbor. George Stephen Morrison was a naval officer at Pearl Harbor and witnessed Pearl Harbor. He obviously survives and immediately is sent to the Pacific to fight in World War II. He fights in Japan. He, I mean, has like a very, like, a very successful career in the Navy during World War II. Ends up working his way up, up the ranks, and he ends up even getting involved in the, uh, the nuclear weapons program. And, like, if you watch Oppenheimer... He's not a character in Oppenheimer, but like that level, like those types of guys, that's what George Stephen Morrison was doing, uh, you know, right towards the end of World War II. It's like he is heavily involved in the nuclear power, uh, or sorry, and heavily involved in the nuclear weapons program. Now, fast forward, say about 20 years, um, tensions have started to rise between the U.S. and and North Vietnam. And it is looking like we are going to be involved in a war in Vietnam. A lot of people are not happy about that. World War II is not that far ahead. We had the Korean War in between that also was not very popular. So it's not very it's not a popular idea for us to get involved in Vietnam. 
but something needs to happen for us to get involved. And an event happens known as the Gulf of Tonkin. When you look at like what really kick-started the Vietnam War, it is almost single-handedly pointed to this one event. Now, obviously, there's a huge amount of events that lead up to a war. It's usually not just one thing, because even that one thing had a bunch of things leading up to it. But the Gulf of Tonkin is usually considered the starting point of the Vietnam War for us. George Stephen Morrison was the (laughs) the commander of the naval forces during the Gulf of Tonkin. So, ends up getting involved in... Ends up being part of Pearl Harbor, part of the nuclear weapons programs, ends up basically leading the Gulf of Tonkin. Now, that, when that happens, George Stephen Morrison has a son who, after, who basically had once nothing to do with his father. A couple of years later, is living out in California, decides to make a band. The band he makes is called The Doors. George Stephen Morrison's son is James Jim Morrison. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> One of the legends of the 60s, you know, rock movements. Father basically started the Vietnam War. Yeah, nice. All right. <laughs> so last one I'm going to do, this is just going to be a bunch of random stories about a single person who, my God, you could have an entire podcast dedicated to the, you know, the uh, shenanigans of this fellow. Now, the fellow in question is a god among men. He is, I would say, the founder of heavy metal music, one of my idols, a fellow named Ozzy Osbourne. <laughs> so, when doing a little dive into Ozzy Osbourne's life, drugs play a big part <laughs> in. In just the craziness that was Ozzy Osbourne's life. Now, everybody knows, I think, like, biting the head off a bat, biting the head off a dove. Even a lot of people now know the story of him, like, licking up ants off of, like, piss from the dudes in Motley Crue. Like, there's a lot of Ozzy Osbourne stories that are now pretty well-known, you know, rock and roll legend. Um, so, I'm going to go through a few that are not as well-known, <laughs> but actually kind of crazier. So one, before Ozzy Osbourne was ever famous, he worked in a factory. Part of the job, his role at the factory, was dunking metal into these giant vats of chemicals. Ozzy Osbourne began to not really enjoy his job. And, you know, these are, these are guys that are having to wear these giant gas masks, basically, to protect themselves from the fumes of these highly toxic chemicals that they're dunking these, this metal into. Um, heavy metal, if you will. Ozzy starts developing a little bit of a habit of every once in a while lifting up his mask, taking a big whiff of the fumes, temporarily kind of like going loopy, and then going back to his job. Like, that's how he kind of gets through his day. Well, as you might imagine, his tolerance starts building up real quick, and at one point, it kind of reaches the uh, the the tipping point. Um, so at one time, people are like, "Where the fuck is Ozzy at?" And they go f- look for him and find that he has now lifted his mask up and is now passed out 
hunched over the barrel of toxic fumes and has been breathing them in for God knows how long. <laughs> so then he ends up leaving that job with who knows how much, you know, lifelong damage. Um, at one point, he also took acid and talked to a horse for over an hour, which is an interesting story in itself. Um, now, there's a bit of a darker side to these drug stories. And one involves... <laughs> this one is rough. And even though I'm a massive Aussie fan, boy, this one, this one's tough. So at one point, Ozzy Osbourne, living with his wife, Sharon, as we all know, Ozzy is real messed up on drugs. And at the time, Sharon Osbourne owns 17 pet cats. Well, Ozzy, in a fit of rage and like just a drug psychosis, grabs a, grabs a shotgun and a like a butcher's knife and shoots and kills all 17 of her cats. And Sharon Osborne finds him hiding under a piano wearing a solid white suit that is now covered in blood with a shotgun and a bloody knife <laughs> and is just out of it. That's not a good one. <laughs> That's not good. Um, yeah, but I had to throw that one in there because, oh my God, God, that's a crazy one. Now, the last story they'll do about all Aussie, last one, and this one, this is, we'll end it on a funnier note because that one's dark as shit to me. But, um, I mean, he also tried to kill Sharon Osborne one time while he was blacked out. Um, he believed that voices were talking to him and telling him he needed to kill her. And then he kind of came to in jail with one of the uh, guards, uh, you know, the jail guards telling him that he had attempted that he was arrested for attempted murder yeah so the, the drug use got pretty bad it wasn't all fun and games you know talking to horses and shit um but the last one i'll go through when ozzy was in black sabbath in 1972 they were recording an album in this house um and this is at a time when black sabbath if you could listen to their music like 70s like around this time versus like their first couple albums there's a noticeable difference and that difference is due to cocaine cocaine began to play a large part <laughs> in the life of ozzy osbourne and the fellas in black sabbath um and in 1972 while they're recording this album they on their coffee table have a giant crystal bowl full of cocaine and i mean like a big 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 bowl full of thousands of dollars worth of cocaine just sitting on this coffee table. Um, almost like goddamn potpourri. Now, Ozzy starts feeling really hot, which is either because the house is hot or he has been snorting cocaine endlessly for like months. <laughs> it could be a little column A, a little column B. Ozzy ends up walking over to the wall where... Uh, there's a panel on the wall, turns down the AC, like trying to crank it down a little bit, cool off. About five minutes later, he hears police sirens and sees five police cars coming up the driveway and is like, 
oh shit, we're being raided. Like, they know we have drugs. This is bad. He grabs the bowl of cocaine, runs to the bathroom, ends up dropping it on the... Uh, he's about... He's going to dunk it down to the toilet, ends up dropping the bowl of cocaine onto this, like, shag carpet square in the bathroom. He's like, oh, fuck. So he gets down and just starts snorting this mound of cocaine, like, just snorting as much of it as possible. And ends up snorting, like, damn near the whole bowl. Like a highly highly deadly ver uh, amount of cocaine is being snorted by Ozzy Osbourne at this time. Like who knows how many, <laughs> I mean, just an insane amount of cocaine being snorted by Ozzy Osbourne. Um, and he's just trying to get rid of evidence for this raid. Well, turns out the police were not there for a raid. <laughs> what had happened was that Ozzy Osbourne going over to turn down the AC uh, didn't know what the hell he was doing and ended up pressing the button on the wall that was the emergency silent alarm button <laughs> that immediately notifies the local police that there is a real emergency at this house. So that's why five police cars come zooming up the driveway to this house. And so Ozzy Osbourne has just snorted all of their giant bowl of cocaine for no reason. He had snorted so much coke at this time that he ends up stay like he ends up staying awake, wired to the gills for four days in a row. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's uh, that's some Aussie stories. Hopefully, you know you enjoyed these stories. I love doing it; it's fun shit. So go buy a t-shirt again. Go to the damn merch store, buy some shirts, magnets. Hats, I don't, I don't give a shit. Stickers, buy some stuff. Fucking, you know, help a brother out here. Um, but with that, that'll end this episode. Um, send in some, you know, comments, uh, some emails to the. You can email the pod at um, the Cody Tucker Show at gmail dot com. Send in any questions, fucking, you know, audio message, whatever you want to say. You know, if you have a topic you'd like me to talk about. Send it in with your name. I'll read it off, do a little talk, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, that'll do it. So until next week, goodbye.